the podcast that digs into the unusual, unorthodox, and downright unsettling beliefs found at the depths of the internet and the heights of paranoia. I'm your host, Dylan, and with me is the kinetic Brent and the kaleidoscopic Forrest. Whoa, dude. Forrest is very trippy. I like Forrest. Yeah. yeah whoa, whoa, he keeps changing colors, man. It is far <laughs> out. Groovy, man. I dig it. Totally groovy, whoa, man. Whoa. So, hey, guys, uh, we're, you know, it's Father's Day today. We're keeping with our tradition of mostly recording only on oh, holidays. Yeah, so Father's Day. Happy Father's Love Day. Love all the fathers out there. You're doing a great job. <laughs> Unless you're not doing a great job, in then case, you know, get on it. Or Child Protective Services might have to intervene. Yes, or, or that's it. <laughs> not that we're state, not that we're status, but. Oh, we are status. As oh, we, we learned are. in I our forgot. Bleach episodes. <laughs> I forgot. We are fully behind calling Child Protective Services when appropriate. Mm -hmm. Also, we have an announcement we have a new patron so we have a new shout out to give kimberly mcleese is our newest patron on yeah. patreon we thank you so very much and if you would like to join kim in being a patron just go over to patreon.com slash none dare call it ordinary for only one dollar a month you can support us and the podcast and more importantly get us to our first goal which is to have 10 patrons which is more than con artist Sherry Schreiner. So that is our first goal for only $1 a month. You can get us there and we would be greatly appreciative. Also, we wanted to remind everyone that besides Patreon, we also accept crypto donations, specifically Bitcoin at the moment. If you head on over to nondarecallitordinary.com slash donate, our public address for our Bitcoin wallet is available, so you can also donate money to us that way as well. And as a new incentive, we want to reward our crypto patrons just as we reward our Patreon patrons. So we will be displaying the Bitcoin crypto addresses of our top 10 donors on our page. And we will give a shout out every episode to the top crypto donation wallet asking our listeners to consider donating to you. That's right. Whoever our top crypto donor is at the time will get a shout out of their public address on every podcast to all our listeners. If you yourself would like to secure that top donor spot, consider supporting the podcast at nondarecallitordinary.com slash donate. Uh, yep. And just so everyone knows, our crypto wallets are empty. Oh. So that, that spot is easy pickings. One Satoshi is only a fraction of a cent. So even a fraction of a cent worth of Bitcoin gets us to shill your wallet. That's all it takes. Take That's all it takes. And as always, if you could please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever your podcasts are served. Okay, first for me personally, I did want to thank my amazing co-host here at Undercoded Ordinary oh. for tackling, yes, for tackling the cult leader Sherry Schreiner last week without me, which I'm actually kind of jealous about, but whatever. Oh, you should um, be. That was, yeah, that looked... Uh, like great research um you know she isn't really i don't think the michael jordan of cult leaders but more the bo jackson or Dion sanders oh. it's, it's all conspiracy for her everything you can think of really <laughs> yeah versatile versatile cult leader yes i'm also glad that for our father's day episode you could mention some sports figures so once again my dad will think what i'm doing is worthwhile <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome yes also, since it is Father's Day, um, yeah, my dad. So that was the whole reason I missed last week. My father did have open heart surgery 
And he is, he made it through the surgery okay, no complications really, and Great. he is recovering rapidly and Very everything's good. good, so we're all happy. Awesome. Super but Yes, good. Super good. that was uh, that was good. Yeah, good news for all of us. Okay, so let me try to do my best impression of Forrest doing an impression of me, as he did on last podcast. So what are we talking about today, Dylan? Oh, that was incredible. That wasn't, that didn't <laughs> that was, sound like you. That wasn't bad. That sounded like you I, doing I an impression of Forrest doing an impression of you. So yeah, the layers yeah. deep. So many. It's truly layers. astounding. Yep. Truly great. But to answer the question, we are introducing our series on psychedelic cults. So we're going to continue the cult train where some cults, you know, they're really into anti-Semitism, maybe the British... Maybe they think FEMA death camps are being founded with guillotines aplenty, <laughs> but some cults are primarily focused on the use of hallucinogenic substances, and we will be spending a few episodes focusing on them. In this episode, we'll give a bit of a preview of how the kind of psychedelic scene first started in the 60s, as well as a truly beautiful person, Bart Hughes, <laughs> who you might not have heard about, but you will never forget him after listening to today's episode. And uh, by the way, I just want to give a shout out to James Kent. James yeah. Kent is a psychedelic researcher and amateur theorist. Mr. Kent and I have uh, started a friendly correspondence recently, and he was extremely helpful in pointing out uh, some of the topics that we cover in the series, especially mm. Bart Hughes and trepanation, which, as Dylan said, we'll go into later. And if you want to check out Mr. Kent's work, I recommend starting with his podcast series, Dose Nation, on iTunes, which which is excellent, I think. And uh, and I say this quite seriously, that Kent might be the only person in the <laughs> psychedelic community that is reasonable and skeptical. <laughs> it's a very it's very hard to come by. Yeah. No, I'm I'm dead serious. I know. Um, anyway, I believe his voice deserves amplification and what's you know otherwise just a giant amount of bullshit. So. Shout out to Mr. Kent. Check out Dose Nation podcast. I think you'll like it. And it's really funny. Um, I when Forrest first told me about James Kent, I did a little bit of Googling because I didn't know who he was. And there is so much hate for this guy. Oh, man. And it's entertaining the hate <laughs> he gets because it's I basically it's it's all incomprehensible. He's, uh, but he's people have a lot yeah. of strong feelings that don't make a whole lot of sense. I thought that the funniest thing I ever read about James Kent of someone the YouTube comment was James Kent is to psychedelics as so the Soviet Union is to architecture. That was like, <laughs> <laughs> what? Because wow. I think the idea is because that the socialistic architecture is like drained of warmth and humanity and all that. Yeah. I oh, I got so you. the idea is like James Kent takes the fun out of psychedelics by pointing <laughs> He's out the brutalist <laughs> yeah. psychedelic researcher. Okay. Yeah. I got you. I, I can see where that, where they're coming with, with that. No, list. but, but no, but seriously, that's the thing he's, he's maybe the only guy in the entire community that speaks the truth about psychedelics. I think that's, that's the funniest part about it. But anyway, at least as far as I can, as far as I can find if, if you want to find a community of lots of bullshit, I recommend the psychedelic community for oh, sure. God, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and my, my primary resource I use in my um, part of the book is Michael Pollan's new book called how to change your mind What the new science of psychedelics teaches us about consciousness, dying, addiction, depression, transcendence. So, you know, obviously we know Michael Pollan, he's not obviously in the drug scene at all. So he kind of comes in it from the outside looking in. 
But honestly, Although this, he did this, in, the, in the course of the book, he did kind of get into it. Yes, though. he yeah. did do drugs in the book and all the stuff he writes about. Have you read the book? Any of you guys or no? I, no, I haven't. I have not read the book, but I, okay. I've seen a lot of interviews with Michael Pollan and uh, about the book. So I feel I know quite a bit about it. Yeah. Right, right, right. And it's kind of a mixed bag. The book is I'll kind of go into why that is later in this episode. But I do recommend, you know, you know, not just fans of Michael Pollan's work, but other people that may be interested in the psychedelic experience. Read the book. It's interesting enough to read as his writings usually are so anyway and we are not getting here. paid by michael Pollan. we're not to advertise his book we're not i just want to let everyone know that <laughs> we're not chills no we're not mike except no, not. when we tell you sometimes we are but it'll be clear <laughs> james kent did give me one billion dollars oh, okay. well that's fine that, so the full disclosure right there but <laughs> so we'll start with a brief no, history of psychedelics so between 1965 to 1969 was known as the psychedelic era during this time there was a distinct change in art and music, and much of which was spawned by the use of psychedelic drugs such as mescaline, LSD, psilocybin, and DMT. That rhymed. Hmm. And generations since refuse to forgive them to this day <laughs> for their <laughs> war against culture. So Michael Pollan writes in his new book, How to Change Your Mind, quote, saying exactly how or what psychedelics contributed to the counterculture of the 1960s is not an easy task. There were so many other forces at work with or without psychedelics. There probably would have been a counterculture. The Vietnam War and the draft made it more than likely. But the forms of the counterculture took and its distinctive styles of music, art, writing, design and social relations would surely have been completely different were it not for these chemicals. And this, you know, in my opinion, is why the 1980s sucked ass. Everyone was doing all the wrong drugs. That's why the music was shit and fashion was atrocious. <laughs> I... I, I really take umbrage with this, and I hear this that. all the time. The oh. 1980s were incredible. Mm. Got the Minutemen, Dead Kennedys, Black Flag, Minor <laughs> Threat, Rites of Spring, Fugazi, Talking Heads. That's just to name a true. few incredible bands. I agree. Those bands are really good. Just because they weren't on MTV doesn't mean they don't exist. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> There were, that, you know, that's true. That's true. But there were some god awful bands through the 80s. You know, there were a lot of the glam metal hair bands, Poison, Twisted Sister, Def Leppard. Oh, God. Brad, don't don't forget others, fucking yeah. White Snake. Oh, yes. White Snake, of course. <laughs> oh. Um, a Warrant. That's a great band. Oh, <laughs> so Dylan and I are clones in many ways. But I think the area where we diverge the most is in our music tastes. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. The 80s sucked. It's all about the <laughs> slow, pretentious prog rock. Yes, King Crimson, Super Tramp, the Moody Blues, and most of all, Pink Floyd. <laughs> I think Dylan and I agree about yes, though. We do agree about yes. Okay. I do like yes. I also love King Crimson. Oh, King okay, Crimson's good. one of my favorite bands. And 80s King Crimson is great. Didn't they they so, did start in the 70s, though. They started late 60s. Oh. Yeah, late 60s, had a, late 60s. Okay. And they've had a lot of different permutations. Um, That's right. I think they were I called think, something different in the 60s, weren't they? They were... I think they started. No, they started. I mean, okay. they might Maybe have, not. but not a King Crimson there, expert. There was a version called King Crimson in the 60s, and they've had a lot of changes. I think like early 70s Crimson is the best. Okay. In my humble opinion. Gotcha. So during this time, psychedelic drugs were used to encourage the breakdown of boundaries, the questioning of authority, the importance of unity and peace with a focus on political awareness. Or as Hunter S. Thompson put it, quote, there was madness in any direction at any hour. You could strike sparks anywhere. There was a fantastic universal <laughs> sense that whatever we were doing was right and we were winning. And that, I think, was the handle. That sense of inevitable victory over the forces of old and evil. Not in any mean or military sense. We didn't need that. Our energy would simply prevail. There was no point in fighting on our side or theirs. 
we had all the momentum. We were riding the crest of a high and beautiful wave. Or, you know, honestly, the phrase winning really has been ruined by Donald Trump, hasn't it? So that's just ruined. Yeah. Somebody yeah. drain the swamp. This place is a fucking reptile zoo. <laughs> and somebody is giving booze to these goddamn things. <laughs> oh, God, that movie is so funny, though. I don't know if it's booze, but it definitely is McDonald's. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I like this quote because I think it's so emblematic of yes. the 60s hippie movement is that basically the attitude is we don't have to do anything productive or constructive we just have to get high and things are going to turn out great. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you do uh, have to, it's really you do have to do some things we know for sure, like take adrenochrome with your lawyer, pass out in a bathtub mm. <laughs> and fill a room full of water with un and uneaten sandwiches. So just. Oh, yeah. Got to do that first. Yeah. You people voted for Hubert Humphrey and killed Jesus. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. So it wasn't just Hunter S. Thompson who explored this. Uh, the using of psychedelic drugs to, quote, expand their consciousness. There are others, such as Ralph Metzner, Ram Das, Alan Watts, and Timothy Leary. Woohoo, Tim yes. Leary. <laughs> My favorite. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> he has a lot of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he does. So LSD was the leading drug of choice at the time by many of these psychedelic gurus. LSD was first synthesized by Albert Hoffman on November 16th, 1938, while doing pharmaceutical research on the medicinal plant squill and the fungus ergot. And if you want to know what it's like to have a full-blown ergot trip, listen to our very first series on the Book of Revelation. Nice. Man, I just, I imagine if John of Patmos got a hold of LSD instead <laughs> of ergot, it would have somehow, it would somehow be trippier than it was. I don't even know how that's oh, possible. God. It would I have know. been astounding. Aged in a rage wine, the extreme blend. Oh, would be, oh, oh. That'd be just ridiculous. Those grapes are even madder. <laughs> so Hoffman set his research aside for a few years, but after five years, he revisited his work. While resynthesizing LSD, Hoffman accidentally absorbed a small portion of the drug through his fingertips. This little piggy went to market. This little piggy stayed home. This little piggy had roast beef. This little piggy got stoned. Whoa. So. <laughs> on, a, on a serious note, I didn't learn until recently that the piggy who went to market was a piggy being sold for roast beef. I thought it was. I didn't, even, mm, I didn't know that either, actually. An anapomorphic <laughs> pig, like going, oh, I'm going to buy some, right. I don't know, herbs and spices or whatever. No, that pig's getting destroyed. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, I think it was Arby's actually who came up with the nursery rhyme, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, was, yeah. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> by the way, by the way, didn't the last piggy squill, squill, squill all the oh. way home? <laughs> Come on, Brent, I'm picking oh, up the shit. pun slack here. Oh, Fuck, I missed it. You missed it. Oh, uh, I missed it. That sucks. Anyway, yep. so here's a quote of Hoffman describing exactly what he felt as the LSD went into his bloodstream. Quote, Affected by a remarkable restlessness combined with a slight dizziness. At home, I lay down and sank into a not unpleasant, intoxicated, light condition, characterized <laughs> by an extremely stimulated imagination. In a dreamlike state, with eyes closed, I found the daylight to be unpleasantly glaring. I perceived an uninterrupted stream of fantastic pictures, extraordinary shapes with intense kaleidoscopic play of colors, after about two hours, this condition faded away. Then Hoffman stumbled over to his modern-day 1930s music collection, put on the phonograph, the most trippy swing music he could find, and passed out. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, uh oh 
So, throughout the 60s, this group of psychedelic gurus evolved into a subculture that used religious and mystical symbolism, which came from the intense effects of the drug. These drug gurus advocated for the, quote, raising of consciousness of the human race, whatever that means. It, it means getting high. I mean, let's just be oh, honest. Yeah, That's all they mean. Basically, right? Yeah. By, yeah. by the way, fun fact, salvia expands consciousness for everything, except it decreases consciousness of the window you jump out. Of. That's <laughs> yeah. a big problem. Yeah. But see, if you took enough hallucinogens for us, you would discover the fact that everything is conscious, even the window mm. that you just jumped out of. So that window <laughs> was just glad to get you out of his consciousness when you jumped out you know, to your death, but <laughs> so, I am yeah. just the universe defenestrating itself. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing you lose consciousness of when you take salvia is the will to live. That's another problem. Yes. <laughs> um, but we might learn more about that on our first bonus Jeez. episode. If right. anyone is interested in those kinds of things. So yeah. Ooh, geez. So quoting from the Wikipedia page on the sixties counterculture quote, the popularization of LSD outside of the medical world has hastened when individuals such as Ken Kenzie participated in drug trials and liked what he saw. Tom Wolfe wrote a widely read account of these early days of LSD's entrance into the non-academic world in his book, The Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test, which documented the cross-country acid-fueled voyage of Ken Kinsley and the Merry Pranksters on the psychedelic bus further and the Pranksters Later Acid Test LSD parties. So basically just sounds like a Monday night to me, but that's, you know. Oh, yeah, that's just me. Hmm. That's just me. Um, yeah, in you and your capital S science buddies getting <laughs> down in the lab. Yeah, we do it. Yep, And then go to work the next day. In 1965, Sandoz Laboratories stopped its still legal shipments of LC to the United States for research and psychiatric use after a request from the U.S. government concerned about its use. By April 1966, LSD use had become so widespread that Time Magazine warned about its dangers. Man, even back then, they were the enemy of the people. Oh, yeah. Fuck. True. <laughs> it's true. In December 1966, the exploitation film Hallucination Generation was released. This was LSD's reefer madness, basically. I highly recommend watching the trailer to this on YouTube. It starts with the narrator saying, quote, Come join the world of the hipsters, the beatniks. The sicknicks. <laughs> While sick showing nicks. a while <laughs> sicknicks, you know. Because <laughs> they're sick. Basically, yeah. People that hang out, you know, downtown Las Vegas. All right. While showing a wild party <laughs> scene, they continue to show what appears to be a rather enjoyable time, honestly. But um <laughs> honestly, gonna be I would totally be in the scene <laughs> if it was the 60s. Yes. Free love is maybe the best idea. <laughs> ever devised by mankind in all human history. I think it needs to make a comeback. Hey, it works for bonobos. So, hey, yeah. better than war. Exactly. <laughs> if, okay, if that's if that's the that's decision bonobos. we have to make, free love or war, okay. In that situation, I'll go with free love. Otherwise, I am admittedly a little skeptical of the concept. <laughs> oh, okay. So there are people riding horses in this trailer to the video Hallucination Generation. There's people dancing, making out, flashing their bellies for some reason. And the narrator Sounds continues. Like <laughs> okay, so the narrator continues, quote, the, exper the experimenters who try anything, stopping only at the outer edge of nowhere. <laughs> so, yeah. So then after this, we get a flash of a random mask. And the narrator says, quote, this will soothe out all the fear in you, all the hate. A man glares at another man kissing a woman's back while the narrator says, quote, do you know the taste of purple? 
What color? Oh, wow. What color is the rainbow of passion, the fragrance of madness? So then, you know, it cuts from two people consensually making out on the bed to a scene of a man forcing himself on a woman, then finally cut to a screaming man with blood pouring down his face. So again, for me, another Monday night. So it's just, um, wow. Actually, the key may be you need oh, to watch Hallucination Generation while hallucinating on LSD, and then it will actually be very impressive, well-researched documentary. I don't know. As we'll learn later, taking LSD is right to have a really good scientific yes. scholarly mindset. Oh, that's so true. There are other fun anti-psychedelic drug propaganda videos besides Hallucination Generation, such as The Trip in 1967 and Psych Out in 1968. Much of the research on psychedelic drugs began in the 1940s and 1950s. However, the 60s did see a heavier experimentation among researchers. Much of the research was conducted at well-respected collegiate institutes such as Harvard University. This is where Timothy Leary led his research team. I would love to see or read an alternative history where the drug revolution happens in the 40s. Wouldn't that be so mm. cool? That's like that's really interesting, actually. Instead, yeah, maybe they could have given drugs to like the Nazis, and then it could have been like, oh man, we don't gotta kill Jews, <laughs> bro. It's fucked up, man. Might have <laughs> See, been I feel yeah. like it would have had the opposite effect. I think it would have been a lot oh, worse. Oh shit, maybe. Yeah, yeah it would have been dark. <laughs> really dark. <laughs> oh yeah, if it's a bad trip, it would have been a little God. even worse. Yeah. It would have been worse. So Timothy Leary began his research mostly with psilocybin mushrooms, which was called the Harvard Psilocybin Project. One study of Leary's was known as the Concord Prison Experiment. In this experiment, Leary studied the potential of psilocybin to reduce recidivism in criminals who were released from prison. After these sessions, Leary did a follow-up where he found that 75% of the turned-on prisoners who were released had stayed out of jail. So Ooh. apparently only horny prisoners are released from jail, I guess. Oh, oh, oh. yeah. That's... Yeah, absolutely. I wonder if anyone followed up on the follow up. I wonder if this oh. is the last. Did we just solve recidivism? I, I bet we did. I, I bet so. people have looked into this mm -hmm. and it's still true. Yeah. Solved. Leary believed he had solved the U.S.'s crime problem with this discovery. However, there were many officials who were skeptical of this supposed breakthrough. According to Michael Pollan, quote, when Rick Doblin of MAPS, which is Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, meticulously reconstructed the Concord experiment decades later, reviewing the outcomes subject by subject, he concluded that Leary had exaggerated the data. In fact, there's no statistically significant difference in the rates of recidivism between the two groups. Boom. So. I, I knew it. I mean, come on. But also, as a, a reminder, always a good time to uh, drop some statistical knowledge Always be skeptical of statistical significance. A statistically significant result can still result from a small effect size, so always be on the lookout. Yeah, whatever, Dylan. You're just one voice, by the way, and what you say is statistically insignificant. That is oh. true, but I have a big old effect size. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it wasn't just Timothy Leary, who is a big advocate for psychedelics, but also authors Alice Huxley, who wrote The Doors of Perception, and Alan Watts, who wrote The Joyous Cosmology, who, due to their personal experiences with psychedelics, believed that these hallucinogenic drugs were the mechanisms by which peace could be brought to the entire planet. And this global peace wasn't limited to just homo sapiens. There were even experiments by scientists in the early 60s with giving LSD to dolphins <laughs> to try and communicate. <laughs> so... 
Good idea, guys. In fact, there's a fun Vice article on this. Quote, John C. Lilly, a neuroscientist who would spend the peak of his career taking LSD and trying to talk to dolphins. So they introduce him. The article goes on, quote, although Lilly's experiments into dolphin communication were in many ways an ethical and scientific failure, his work had a profound and positive impact on the way we think about drugs, psychology, and interspecies communication. You know, I honestly, I've always said, give me an eight ball of Coke and, sl- and a sloth, and together we will break the interspecies communication barrier. So <laughs> give it to me. I don't know. I would think you would want to, it would like, like drugs to like animal. Oh, that's true. So I yeah. think the eight ball, I would go with a fast animal like a cheetah so you can get more on its level and know what it's like. <laughs> I think, by the way, this would make a great television series. We can call it Tripper. <laughs> it's about a friendly dolphin on acid. Only unlike Flipper, he doesn't save the day because he's too busy waking and baking. That's and you know that dolphin would be like a sexual predator raping humans left and right. Scariest oh, thing ever. God. But also a good show for Nick at night. So <laughs> Nick at yeah. very night. Very late at yeah. night, I think. Extremely late at night. <laughs> So Timothy Leary was dead set on bringing more organized general awareness to the public than a lot of others. He spoke with the Senate committee in Washington regarding these issues. He also suggested that colleges and universities implement laboratory courses in psychedelic research. He stated that these courses would, quote, end the indiscriminate use of LSD and would be the most popular and productive courses ever offered. End quote. <laughs> so, okay, students, go ahead. Yeah, okay, students, go ahead and set up your Bunsen burners and organize your graduated cylinders. Now, open up your lab workbooks and everyone take out that little tab of on the blotter paper on page 74 and put it on your tongue. Okay, good. Does your lab partner now have cat eyes, cat eyes and snakes for hair yet? Okay, perfect. Now it's time to have that most productive course ever offered. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh my God. You know, I, I, all, all joking aside, I, I really, I, I gotta be serious. This is, this is super unprofessional and yeah. dangerous. Mm-hmm. Clearly crystal meth is behind the most productive courses ever offered. I mean, obviously, <laughs> that is the route that's to just, take. You true. just don't stop studying. That's <laughs> If I was going to brand Crystal Meth, that's what I would call it. Just don't stop studying. Uh, quoting from the same Wikipedia article, quote, although these men were seeking an ultimate enlightenment, reality eventually proved that the potential they thought was there could not be reached, at least in this time. The change Mm. they sought for, the world had not been permitted by the political systems of all the nations these men pursued their research in. So, Oh, yeah, the political systems were the problem with the whole (laughs) peace through tripping initiative. Mm -hmm. That was that was the problem. (laughs) So Ram Dass states, quote, Tim and I actually had a chart on the wall about how soon everyone would be enlightened. We found out the real change is harder. We downplayed the fact that the psychedelic experience isn't for everyone. I mean, it's for dolphins and a handful of people only. Come on. Let's just be, it's just true. Also, I'd love to see this chart. Did they indicate each individual as they were enlightened on this chart with like a piece, you know, like a paper cut out of a human, just like endless paper cutouts. It's like, here we yeah, go. You know, who I, was on, you know, who was on that list of people. Those two. It was the same list that Eisenhower oh. got of all the people who were oh, abducted. That's the same oh, list. That's right. right. That's so true. Who do you think invented LSD? Albert Hoffman, Alien Hoffman? It's all coming together. <laughs> They're both A's. 
Also, this chart on the wall, I think it went about as far as Steve Bannon's chart on the wall of Donald Trump fulfilling all his campaign <laughs> promises. Remember that one? It went about as far as that one. So continuing from the wiki page, quote, Leary and his team's research got shut down at Harvard and everywhere they relocated around the globe. Their outlawish behavior and aggressive approach with these drugs did not settle well with the law. Officials did not agree with this chaotic promotion of peace. I mean, I personally prefer my peace without the chaos, but to each their own, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, they're good, but they're chaotic good. Yeah. You know, it's a certain kind of personality. Research with psychedelic drugs and those who conducted it was a radical understanding for the vast majority of the world. However, it did create a change. A ripple of curiosity was created as a result, and the wave is continuing to swell. Actually, that last part of the wiki article did remind me of the last, the rest of that Hunter S. Thompson quote that I quoted earlier, which says, quote, so now less than five years later, you can go up on a steep hill in Las Vegas and look west and with the right kind of eyes. You can almost see the high water mark, the place where the wave finally broke and rolled back. And guys, I don't know if you know this, if you go on a steep hill in Las Vegas, look east with the right kind of eyes, usually teary due to allergies and all kinds of fucking dust. You can almost see the high water mark. The place is called Lake Mead and it's drying up. Why do we live here again, Forrest? I don't know. So we should probably move. And it's not a high water mark anymore. It's a very low, low, low yeah. water mark. A low water mark. It's, yeah, it's Lake Mead has a farmer's tan. Yeah. Is yes. what it looks yeah. like. Exactly right. <laughs> so now that we've discussed the abridged history of the psychedelic era, the stage is set for how these drugs can give you the answers to the universe. But it isn't just as easy as taking hallucinogens. No, you need to dig a little deeper, literally. Anyway, Forrest can explain. So there you go. <laughs> yep. We're going to talk about the curious case of Bart Hughes. So if there was ever a man who wanted to drill into your head the importance of the psychedelic experience, it was Bart Hughes. Who is Bart Hughes? According to a May 1998 article from the Enemy of the People Illuminati <laughs> Shills at the Washington Post, quote, the father of the modern trepanation movement is a Dutch librarian named Bart Hughes, considered a genius by his followers and featured in a new documentary, A Hole in the Head. <laughs> he came close to being Dr. Bart Hughes, he says in the film, but Amsterdam University refused to give him his medical degree because of his advocacy for marijuana use, end quote. By the way, Hughes actually named his daughter Maria Juana, or just marijuana, <laughs> as there's conflicting reports on this. Either way, great name to give oh your kid, God, right? Perfect. Yeah, not scarred at all. I did find a website with slang terminology for psilocybin. One was silly billy, like with the P, P-S-I-L-L-Y, silly mm. billy. I would actually have respected mm. Hughes more if he would have went with that name instead, um, but that's fine. Yeah, that's that's much more creative than Mary, Maria Juana or whatever. Also, <laughs> I was thinking about our music uh, discussion we were having earlier, okay. and there's rockabilly. And they're psychobilly. Why not a silly billy? Why not a psychedelic <laughs> rockabilly music? It fits perfectly in here. Yeah, sounds good to me. Why not? Also, one one thing you didn't mention, another reason Bart Hughes did not get his medical degree was because of his advocacy for not going to class. Oh, just that small thing? Well, that was a, a that. Yeah, sorry. That was big oversight there. So what is trepanation? You might ask. The article continues, quote, the word trepan comes from the Greek trepanon, meaning a borer. According to John Virano, a professor of anthropology at Tulane University, trepanation is considered the oldest surgical practice, still performed medically worldwide and ceremonially by some African tribes today. 
Recently, a trepan skull found in France was estimated to be about 7,000 wow. years old. I already have, honestly, guys, a little trepidation about this trepanation. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. You should, considering a real super fan of trepanation was Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> Big fan of it. <laughs> but not for himself. Big fan to give it to other people. <laughs> All right. Quote, in Europe in particular, there has long been an association of trepanation with the liberation of evil spirits. That comes from ideas in medieval Europe, says Verano, one of the country's foremost scholars on the subject. Medieval painters, such as Hieronymus Bosch, depicted trepanation, though Bosch's The Operation for the Stone, The Cure of Folly, seem to be the artist's commentary on quackery. Oh, that's cool. I do like Bosch's most famous painting was at the Garden of Earthly Delights. Well, if you Fun like one. that, Brent, I suggest you check out more in his quackery painting series, such as <laughs> the Prana of Breatharian Delights. I, that's <laughs> I will. Thank you. One that's perfect. <laughs> just like just a bunch of clones of Wiley Brooks and all sorts of weird <laughs> continuations, like Diet Coke turning into liquid light. You know, it's real creepy. Exactly. Continuing, Trepan skulls are frequently excavated by archaeologists, and many have several holes, often several centimeters wide, indicating that trepanation was successful and the patient survived. Superstition was not the only reason for trepanations. It was also performed to relieve pressure on the brain caused by injuries. Hippocrates endorsed trepanations for light head wounds. I love how the bar for success for trepanation was mere survival. <laughs> they lived. And so, hey. It's a good <laughs> we did it. We did it. We did it. It is the oldest surgical practice, so give them a little slack. Okay. Quote, some experts also believe that the procedure was intended to cure ailments from headaches to epilepsy to insanity. Medical trepanations are still done today to relieve pressure on the brain, but the bone is usually replaced. Sellouts. Uh, lame. All right. So, which is, as we'll find out, a little different than what we're going to see here. <laughs> so, all right. So earth apes have been drilling holes into their head for a very, very long time. So what does Bart Hughes bring to the table? Quote, fueled by experiments with LSD and other drugs, Hughes concluded in 1962 that consciousness is related to the volume of blood in the brain or what he called brain blood volume. That's one word. Oh, yeah. Hoping to increase his brain pulsation and blood volume, he trepanned himself and preached the benefits to others around Europe he wrote a book, Trepanation, the Cure for Psychosis. Also, big stress on the word concluded. He concluded <laughs> that consciousness is so related. I uh, I just want to flag that. Yeah. Also, if, if it's volume, wouldn't you have to put like a bag on the hole so you could have like more room for there to be like more volume of blood? Hmm. Like I would think if you just trepan yeah. yourself, it's just going to all leak out. <laughs> I don't know what I'm missing here. I, I don't know what I'm missing either. He needs like a colostomy bag for his brain. Blood. I do like <laughs> how um, in James Kent's Dose Nation podcast, he points out the extreme irony of somebody saying, this is how you secure psychosis and then drilling a hole in their head. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, no, he's like, no, no, no. This is yeah. wait, wait, wait. this is a symptom of psychosis, not the cure. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the other great part is he said, James Kent said, this is, you know, really extreme dedication to going like with your scientific hypothesis. But there's a much simpler course of action you could have taken. You could have found people that accidentally got holes in their heads from things like, I don't know, the world <laughs> war that just happened and see if, <laughs> if these 
skateboarded effects were true, but he went all the we way. We can't just easy. sit around and wait. I mean, honestly, it does make more sense with the hippies that they would just sit around and wait for somebody to just accidentally put a hole in their head. Well, it's funny too. Bart Hughes, because what James he Kent, had a really a can-do attitude. James Kent talks about the psychedelic community at the time when they first heard this. It wasn't like, oh, that's crazy. It was everyone was like, that makes sense to me. <laughs> So anyway, oh, God. fun fact, by the way, Hughes was quite literally fueled by LSD when he came up with the idea. And as we all know, LSD is a reliable pathway to objective Absolutely truth. Absolutely right. Obviously. Yes. But only when it literally fuels you, though. You can't get mm -hmm. this. You can't let this food and water junk get in the way true. of your pursuit yes, of knowledge. Fast days before. Gallons That's and right. gallons of LSD. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So a certain Amanda Fielding, who we'll get into later, says of LSD that it will, quote, get deep down in the brain and reset the wish to get better, like shaking up a snow globe. <laughs> but it only works, though, you know, if you have Christmas <laughs> on your mind. Uh. <laughs> also, it's not I don't think that's a good thing. No, I don't want my head shaken up like <laughs> like a snow globe. It doesn't seem a positive effect. Yeah. During Christmas time, I'm not, you oh. know, like as I'm curing my cancer with standing above a mistletoe i don't see a snow globe and think you know what i should shake that like it is my head should be like this shake this this is ridiculous makes no sense so michael Pollan mentions fielding in his book how to change your mind saying amanda fielding believes that quote homo sapiens have been compromised ever since our species began standing upright <laughs> lsd fielding believes enhances cognitive function and facilitates higher states of consciousness by increasing cerebral circulation. Wow, that's like the most okay, extreme anarcho-primitivist view I've heard. <laughs> I know there are, no. I think like Zerzan, for example, sometimes says that we need to get rid of language, get rid of technology. She wants to get rid of, you know, bipedalism. I mean, that's going way back. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, okay, so I did want to interject here. Sorry for us, but I just wanted to say, so this is the portion when Pollen in his book talks about trepanation, um, starting with, quote, this deserves a brief digression. Well, I mean, you know, I would, I would probably go into more, but OK, Michael. Um, yeah. So no need to linger on this little problem of drilling holes into your head while on LSD. I guess he'll just <laughs> we'll just move past that. I was reading that page was like, what? So I also want to shed some criticism, too, on the book here, because, you know, he really he, he lets fielding off the hook. Michael says in the book, quote, but while Amanda Fielding may be eccentric. Uh, yeah, she is by no means feckless. OK, her work on both drug research and drug policy reform has been serious, strategic and productive. In recent years, her focus has shifted from trepanation to the potential of psychedelics to improve brain function. When he let her off the hook, was that the trepanation hook? Because I mean, someone's got to yeah. do it. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> yes. It was literally. Yes. Literally the hook. As Kent says in his podcast, fielding is a kind of a mixed bag. The irony of Paul in writing about not just fielding, drilling a hole in her own head, but literally pushing her trepanation initiative for the general public to parliament on the same page of this book is worth noting. Um, uh, yeah. Maybe so Paul actually, started drilling holes into his oh, head. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with Michael Paul. Actually, well, here's the thing. I, I saw some interviews with Amanda Fielding and she actually comes across as very articulate, very yeah. bright. Yeah, Kent talks about her in that way. No, it's... Uh, I think in, in the same podcast, Kent even talks about where he says, you know, she's a wonderful person and I've met her a few times, but mm -hmm. I can't help it every time. Yes. I can't help that every time I see her, I think she drilled a fucking hole in her head. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, I gotta, gotta keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you gotta be fucking, crazy. fucking crazy. So anyway, 
Hughes' top disciple, Joseph Mellon, had this to say about how LSD affected him in his book, Borehole. Quote, I felt brilliant, <laughs> godlike, able to understand everything. Okay. Now I knew what eternity meant. Time seemed to stop and still everything was moving. I was ecstatic. I kept eating sugar lumps. I could feel that this was the energy I needed to get around this universe in my brain. All right. So that sounds pretty amazing, right? Not so fast. <laughs> it isn't the case that all reports of LSD are quite so awesome. Take this example from a Vice article called My Hellishly Bad Acid Trip and what I learned in the aftermath. Quote, I experienced the most hellish hallucinations. It was like being trapped in a nightmare. I closed my eyes, but I couldn't escape. All I could do was wait it out and remind myself that this state was only temporary, but it felt like it lasted for days and I was barely clinging onto my sanity. It was like the drug had latched onto my fear and panic and was churning out reflections of it. I had created my own private hell and saw my fears come to life, some that I didn't even know I had. So I saw a valley filled with visions of the most horrific things I could possibly think of. The visions were strangely one-dimensional, as if I had looked up on Google Images what a stereotypical bad trip would look like. I saw masked men with weapons staring at me dead in the eyes, dead bodies and puddles of blood, animals being killed. <laughs> okay, so anyway, here's the thing. Whether or not you have a good or bad trip, all we know for certain is that if you're going to solve a deep scientific problem that requires sobriety of thought, skepticism, and objectivity, then, in Paul Potter parlance, Obviously, taking hallucinogens is the way to go. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You have to free your mind from the tyranny of thinking straight to solve, you know, to really solve any of these complicated <laughs> questions of life. So. Plus, psychedelics, they turn you into the perfect artist. Oh, that's Which, right. as we all know, is what is needed <laughs> yes, to finally right. figure out how to make a UFO. <laughs> so to those of us that might find all this psychobabble that emanates from the mouths of LSD cultists to be somewhat childish. Well, that's the point. <laughs> As John Mitchell writes in his book, Eccentric Lives and Peculiar Notions, which is a good podcast name, by the way, mm -hmm. yeah. quote, the higher state of mind he sought was that of childhood. <laughs> Babies are born with skulls unsealed, and it is not until one is an adult that the bony carapace is formed, which completely encloses the mem membrane surrounding the brain and inhibits their pulsations in response to heartbeats. In consequence, the adult loses touch with the dreams, imagination, and intense perceptions of the child. His mental balance becomes upset by egoism and neuroses. Unseal your skull is also a good bumper sticker, or even better, put it on a trucker hat. That would be... Ooh, yeah. Good. Yeah. It, it would also be a good Parliament Funkadelic album, Unseal Your Skull and Your Mind Will Follow. <laughs> nice. Perfect. So, continuing the quote, To cure these problems, first in himself and then for the whole world, Dr. Hughes returned his cranium to something like the condition of infancy by cutting out a small disc of bone with an electric drill. Experiencing immediate beneficial effects from this operation, he began preaching to anyone who would listen to the doctrine of trepanation. By liberating his brain from its total imprisonment in the skull, he claimed to have restored its pulsations, increased the volume of blood in it, and acquired a more complete, satisfying state of consciousness that grown-up people normally enjoy. The truest enlightenment is to basically just be Krang from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you know, <laughs> a brain with no skull at all. <laughs> I mean, oh, man. He reached and yeah, You know what? Forget the free the nipple movement. Let's get free the brain trending. <laughs> Hashtag free the brain. Do it now. Oh, man. 
I like, yeah, you're right, Brad. Krang is the ultimate <laughs> in the free your brain movement. <laughs> That's the He's end goal. Yep. Yeah, the next step is you'll build a giant man and you'll live inside his belt. Yeah. Krang was a genius. So continuing the quote of Mitchell, the medical and legal authorities reacted to Hughes's discovery with horror and rewarded him with a spell in a Dutch lunatic asylum. Oh, that's oh, nice. man. <laughs> Tough. Yeah, the problem, though, is that he probably thought they were literally casting a spell on him. And so I think he didn't fully understand <laughs> true. That's true. how to deal with that situation. What are you talking about? He was in a purely sober and skeptical frame of mind necessary for doing intense uh, scientific research, Dylan. True. Oh, I know, because he was right. They were just trying to cast a spell oh, on him. That's oh, what I I'm see. saying. Okay. He could he was see. Right. Got it. See through the ruse. So he was a medicine. He was this lover, Amanda Fielding, who we talked a little about earlier, actually filmed her own self-trepanation in a 1970 documentary called Heartbeat in the Brain. John Mitchell writes of the film, quote, at one showing in London, a film critic described the audience dropping off their seats one by one like ripe plums. <laughs> Yet it was not designed to be gruesome. The soundtrack is of soothing music. And the surgical scenes alternate with some delightful motion studies of Amanda's pet pigeon, Birdie, as a symbol of peace and wisdom. <laughs> I hate all these people. I do, too. <laughs> you know, this film should just be repackaged as an avant-garde horror film because it actually might do well at Sundance. I don't know. Yeah, found footage, like a found footage thing. Says Fielding of administering the procedure, quote, I was trained as a sculptor, so I thought I spend all my time making holes in objects. I might as well make one in my own head. <laughs> might as well. Yeah. Why, why not? You know, she's not a pothead, really. She's more of a pottery head. Mm, so. Yes. Oh. Yes. The documentary appears to be lost for posterity, but some footage of the self-procedure can be seen in the 1998 documentary, A Hole in the Head. So who is Amanda Fielding and how did she come to hook up with Hughes? Tim Adams of Enemy of the People Fake News, The Guardian, writes, quote, Her first experience with LSD was nearly her last. An acquaintance spiked some coffee she was drinking with a massive dose, and she spent three months recovering from the psychic wound in a little hut. Yeah, coffee with sugar, creamer, and LSD is not a fun way to wake up in the morning. Nope, especially when you don't know what's in there. Right, and massive amounts, yes. She was eventually persuaded out of the hut to a party at which Ravi Shankar was playing in London. It was there that she met Hughes, who not long returned from Ibiza, where he'd been making his own LSD. Ooh, DIY LSD. Of course, that's how you know it's organic. Mm -hmm. Hughes was a man after her own seeker's heart. He had been, she suggests, the top medical student in the Netherlands. Then, she says, he called his daughter marijuana, entrepanned himself, and inevitably they failed him on his finals. <laughs> You're going to have to agree on the inevitable there. <laughs> Continuing the Guardian article, the day after they met, they started their hallucinogenic romance. As Fielding explains this former life in digressive fits and starts fretting a little that she is saying too much, she leads me through the twilight garden over well-trodden stepping stones, pointing out a pond she dug based on sacred geometries with a half-submerged colonnade as if from a forgotten civilization. Wow. So, trepanation devotee and future boyfriend of Fielding, Joseph Mellon, also performed a self-trepanation, but it wasn't pretty. John Mitchell writes, quote, Joey's first attempt at self-trepanation was a fiasco. He had no previous medical experience. 
and the needles he had brought for administering a local anesthetic to the crown of his head proved to be too thin and crumpled up or broke. Next day, he obtained some stouter needles, took a tab of LSD to steady his nerves, and set to in earnest. Actually, I think you first need to drink bleach before stabbing yourself in the skull, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah. I I don't know if that's standard these days. But also the phrase he, quote, took a tab of LSD to steady his nerves. Really, I really enjoy that phrase. So that's (laughs) lovely. (laughs) My guess is it was a way to force himself to do the procedure quickly. So he took the LSD and was like, I better hurry up or I'm going to have to do this while I'm actually high on LSD. (laughs) So it just made him speed up. It was a good motivating force. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Also, just the word, the word fiasco is applied to failing at this kind of procedure. A fiasco (laughs) is when, oh, no, I didn't order enough pizza for the party. That's a fiasco. And it's a little hectic. Mm -hmm. Not when you're trying to drill a hole in your head (laughs) and you fail. That's at least a step above fiasco, I've got to say. No, M- Mitchell is actually very kind yeah. in his descriptions, but even then, yes. <laughs> he can't yeah. escape the insanity. So we're going to continue. First, he made an incision to the bone and then applied the trepan to his bared skull. But the first part of the operation, driving the spike into the bone, was impossible to accomplish. Joey described it as like trying to uncork a bottle from the inside. He realized he needed help and telephoned Bart in Amsterdam who promised he would come over and assist at the next operation. This plan was frustrated by the home office, which listed Dr. Hughes as an undesirable visitor to Britain and barred his entry. Oh, man. You know, as Forrester said, it's like he's so nice. The British people, are, they're just really nice. Un- undesirable visitor rather than a drug-crazed lunatic who drives spikes into school. That's <laughs> much, uh, I think that's much just nicer. a general because they... <laughs> I believe they listed L. Ron Hubbard with that status at one point as well. Undesired visitor. Oh, okay. Nice. They like being diplomatic about it. So, quote, Amanda agreed to take his place. Soon after her return to London, she helped Joey reopen the wound in his head and, by pressing the trap in with all her might against his skull, managed to get the spike to take hold and the saw teeth to bite. Joey then took over at cranking the saw. <laughs> Once again, he had swallowed some LSD. <laughs> After a long period of sawing, just as he was about to break through, he suddenly fainted. Amanda called an ambulance and he was taken to a hospital where horrified doctors told him that he was lucky to be alive and that if he had drilled a fraction of an inch further, he would have killed himself. God damn. You know, oh, come on. You know, these doctors just do not get it. He was this close to enlightenment. The problem is that these doctors needed to take massive doses of LSD and then treat Joey. Come on. This is also a really weird Friends episode. I don't know. Joey is getting fucked up here. The one with the trepanation. Yeah. (laughs) Can't you get it through your thick skull, Joey, that this is fucked up? Joey's response would be, no, I literally can't. I'm trying to drill through bone here. Oh. And then he looks at the tab of LSD and says, how you doing? And then he takes it. And then he passes out. I think that's how that episode ends. Cliffhanger. Yes, that's a season. That's a series finale, I yeah. think. Yeah. The hang, it just ends. Yeah. Right All there. right. So now you would think that since Mellon didn't know what the fuck he was doing and he nearly killed himself, he might have learned from his past two attempts and would have stopped. But you'd be wrong. Mitchell continues, quote, there followed a period of embarrassment as the rumor went around (laughs) London that Joey Mellon had trepped himself 
Whereas, the in fact, he had failed to do so. So it's even worse. They thought he was killing oh skulls and they thought he trapped, <laughs> him, trapped him himself, but he failed. Yeah, now he's just a failure. He's a failure. He's a double failure. <laughs> God. He's a failure oh, in the mainstream and the fringe all at once. Oh my God, worse. Anyway, continuing the quote, as soon as possible, therefore, he prepared for a third attempt. Proceeding as before, but now with the benefit of experience, he soon found the groove from the previous operation and began to saw through the sliver of bone separating him from enlightenment, or as the doctors had predicted, instant death. <laughs> Man. Oh That's God. a high risk, high reward scenario right there. <laughs> Mellon himself describes what happened next, quote, after some time, there was an ominous sounding slurp and the sound of bubbling. I drew the trepan tre tre out and the gurgling continued. It sounded like air bubbles running under the skull as they were pressed out. It looked, I looked at the trepan and there was a bit of bone in it. At last, on closer inspection, I saw that the disc of bone was much deeper on one side than on the other. Obviously, the trepan had not been straight and had gone through at one point only. Then the piece of bone had snapped off and come out. Oh. I was reluctant to start I was reluctant to start drilling again for fear of damaging the brain membranes with the deeper part while I was cutting through the rest or of breaking off a splinter. If only I had an electric drill, it would have been so much simpler. <laughs> oh. That's literally the end of pie, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> it's like, ugh. Ugh. Horrible. Amanda was sure Gross. I was through. There seemed no other explanation for the slurping noises. <laughs> I decided to call it a day. Wow. At that time, I thought that any hole would do, no matter what size. I banged, I, I bandaged up my head and cleared away the mess. End quote. <laughs> and the hole in his head grew three, grew three sizes that day. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I must stop enlightenment from coming, but how? These hippies with their noise, noise, noise. And the, it's funny, you won't have to change the song. Hoorah, hoorah. That sounds like some 60s shit. It's already psychedelic enough. Fuck me. And so. I have to just, I'm sorry, one last thing I have to get out. The, the, the slurp just gets me to oh. the, the core of my being. Yeah. I like the oh, I like I really the air the bubbles. Me. I like the air bubbles trying oh. to move out from the skull, just like coming up. Yeah. Jesus like Christ. That. Wow. All right. And so now that Melon had finally drilled a hole in his melon, <laughs> you, you'd think you'd think he'd be done with this nonsense and move on. But no, he didn't feel very enlightened after his procedure, so he went further. Mm. Quoting Mitchell. There was still doubt in his mind as to whether he had really broken through, and if so, whether the hole was big enough to restore pulsation to his brain. The operation had left him with a feeling of well-being, but he realized that it could simply be from relief at having ended it. Can you guys imagine the feeling of well-being you would have had by not drilling a hole in the skull in the first yeah, place? That would have been... That <laughs> something else it would have been great i hope i hope i think this is what the song uh break on through to the other side is about i think i finally understand <laughs> oh, those lyrics continuing mitchell's quote to put the matter beyond doubt he decided to bore another hole at a new spot just above the hairline Jesus. this time using an electric Jesus. drill <laughs> <My> god <gasps> 
Oh, I think Lowe's actually missed a advertising uh, opportunity here too, but um, whatever. Lowe's or you know Home Depot. You know, and actually at this point, his head has basically just turned into Swiss cheese. Um, he should probably, uh, I guess he's just like the purest form of the cheese head, the Green Bay Packers fan. Oh, I think that's right. Gross. And another sports reference. I just reference think about there. using yeah. an electric drill just to bore a hole in a wall and how worried I get oh. that it's going to be too yes. deep. Yes. Like how I like it really like, oh, I got to be careful. So I'm super careful. I always yes. even I, I'm so careful. Yes. I even use the little detectors that detect wiring in the wall before drilling through. Yeah. And and your brain yeah. is all wiring. Just stay away from it. Yes. God. And you do it yourself. Do it. It's amazing. Uh, oh. oh, God. Anyway, there should at least be like a guy that you put on the drill so, you know, you've gone deep enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like guards, like on a razor blade when you're shaving. your Yeah, head. exactly. Like something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so continuing Mitchell in the spring of 1970, Amanda was in America and Joey did the operation alone. He applied the drill to his forehead. But after half an hour's work, the electric cable burned out. Once again, he was frustrated. An engineer in the flat below him was able to repair the instrument. And next day, he set out to finish the job. <laughs> Do you guys think the neighbor below him had any idea what he was using no, this drill for? I hope not. <laughs> I mean, not I, I'm, I'm happy that okay. I, 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 I'm it. happy to help you fix your drill, there, Joey. But might I ask, what's that hole doing in your head? You okay? <laughs> Just repair my drill, you game. <laughs> oh. I need my enlightenment now. Oh, man. man, he definitely does need some enlightenment. He's real mean. Just covered in blood. Oh, Quoting man. Melon, this time I was not in any doubt. The drill head went at least an inch deep through the hole. A great gush of blood followed my withdrawal of the drill. In the mirror, I could see the blood in the hole rising and falling with the pulsation of the brain. The result, at least subjectively, appeared to be a success. Quoting Mitchell, the result was all he had hoped for. During the next four hours, he felt his spirits rising higher until he reached a state of freedom and serenity, which he claims has been with him ever since. Good for him. Yeah. So since Mellon, Fielding, and Hughes appear to have reaped the benefits of drilling holes in their head, is there any objective evidence for Hughes's hypothesis? The answer is no. What? And were you really expecting anything different? <laughs> what? Well, I think you have to be on copious amounts of LSD to actually proper assess oh, the data. Though. That's true. Yeah, sure I agree. Thoroughly enlightened. Well, here's the thing, guys. It, it would be bad enough if there was simply a lack of evidence for the proposed benefits of drilling a hole into your head and going ahead with it anyway. But it gets worse. <laughs> going ahead with it. <laughs> oh, oh. God. Yeah, I, I thought that. Too. In that fact, <laughs> Hughes's hypothesis has been falsified as the Guardian article on Fielding reports, quote, I wonder if any of the research she has done with Imperial College has vindicated Hughes' original blood-brain notion. She admits it has not. When she helped to lead the first brain imaging study with LSD, the scans did not reveal the increase of blood supply she had been expecting, though they did show a decrease in what she calls the condition reflex mechanism, the controlling effects of the ego. The principal investigator in the study, Robin Carhart Harris at Imperial subsequently suggested that blood flow was probably, quote, a little bit of a sideshow. The brain doesn't fundamentally work through flowing blood. That's part of it. But we know that the function is electrical. So why don't we measure the electrical signals? Oh. And I do want to say, by the way, 
props to Fielding for being the second person after Neil Adams in none dare call it ordinary history <laughs> to admit they might be wrong. So a round of applause for Miss Fielding. Yeah, it's a low bar, but this is a low bar podcast. So relatively speaking, this is huge. Good for her. Good for her. And we have so much excavation to come to find the lowest bars <laughs> in future episodes. We need to have a so hall of fame for people who are not totally yes. 100% deluded. That's good, yeah. And the fact if if someone that drills a hole in their head is not 100% delusional, you got a chance. All right. So we're going to talk a little bit about the cult of trepanation. So, so far this seems to be a cult of 3. But who else is doing this shit? Where can you get the procedure performed? When Vice asked Mellon this very question, Mellon responded, quote, I heard there's a guy doing it in Mexico for $2,000, and of you can course. get it done in Ecuador and Egypt. There are doctors who will take your money, but we're talking a lot of money here. Bart always thought there should be an automat, a little <laughs> booth where you go and put your penny in the <laughs> slot. A penny for your thoughts by drilling through your skull? It's like, no? it's like the suicide booths in Futurama, where you just walk in and get <laughs> trepanned. Mellon is unequivocal in his stance that trepanation is for everyone. Quote, well, I think it should be for everyone. The simplest thing is this. The human being needs more blood in its brain. And this isn't a great high. It's just restoring you to that youthful level of vitality. This vitality that you lose when you hit adulthood. But it could just be done with an injection at birth. You could inject the cells around the fontanelle so it never seals. It would be very simple. End quote. And even though Mellon distinguishes getting high from trepanation, he also thinks getting high is for everyone as well, including <laughs> dictators that control nuclear arsenals. Oh, yeah. Quote, oh, God. when you get high, you transcend the ego. You get above the ego. When you are high, you can see people operating on this level and you can see where you have been operating on this level also. You are given an objective view as opposed to a subjective one. And that is the great beauty and great value of getting high. I think everyone should get high. And I think that Vladimir Putin should drop acid. Oh, my God. <laughs> Speaking of Vladimir Putin, can you guys imagine Trump on acid? Um, I, I don't be. think that even in the entire oeuvre of H.P. Lovecraft's Cthulhu mythos, <laughs> that there's anything even remotely terrifying <laughs> as that thought. Honestly, I think if Trump took acid, I don't think he would change. I think <laughs> yeah. it would be exactly the same. It'd probably be, yeah, pretty much exactly the same, yeah. which is actually very scary. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. so just how many people have joined this movement? Luckily, by all indications, it seems to be pretty insignificant. Thank goodness. Yeah. The gospel was largely spread by a certain Peter Halverson. The Japan Times in 2001 reported, quote, Peter Halverson a 54-year-old American who trepanned himself in 1972 after suffering acute depression says he knows of 60 others who have undergone voluntary trepanation for similar reasons. Indeed, he's in regular contact with many of them all over the world through the International Trepanation Advocacy Group, of which he is director. <laughs> By the way, I... Got, they have a group! <laughs> oh. I visited his website, and it's down. Last time I visited, oh. so thank God. Oh, but anyway. man. That's too bad. Halverson explains his motivation for getting the procedure done. Quote, I was very much a sealed skull adult, and I was struggling with that. After the trepanation, I felt a positive lift. There's no doubt trepanation is an enhancement. That's the worst. Yeah, that's the worst insult ever. God, you're so lame. You're such a sealed skull adult. <laughs> free your mind what from a, your... What a fucking skull tar. your mind from your skull, <laughs> bitch. Oh, 
And by the way, it turns out that some people don't need the procedure done because I guess they've just naturally got a hole in their head. <laughs> Halverson claims, for example, quote, John Lennon asked Hughes to trep in him, but Bart told him he was a third ire, so he wouldn't notice any difference. Oh, oh man. God. Yeah, because if you drilled a hole in John Lennon's head, you know his third eye would have peeked through that little hole, and that's just that's just creepy. So <laughs> <laughs> it's also it's not a good look for your procedure if someone asks. Hey, I want to be trepanned, and they say, "Oh, you've you've got a third eye. It wouldn't do anything to you." Yeah. So obviously, it's not that great. If you That's can't serious. tell that you already have a hole in your head, clearly, <laughs> it's not that great. When the Japan Times asked Halverson to explain why he thought Hughes's theories had any merit, he said, "Intuition. Bart is an intuitive scientist. He doesn't use instruments to get to his conclusions." Mm, yep. Yep. Oh man. An intuition-based science without instruments? Sign me up. That sounds so much easier. Yeah, you just stare, <laughs> you just stare at the lab samples and be like, mm, yep, asbestos. Yep, that's no. it. That is what just it go is. Go with your gut. <laughs> yep. Go with your gut industries. Oh man. So the Japan Times talked to some experts that weren't very impressed by the purported benefits <laughs> of trepanation. Here's what some of them had to say. Quote. Takemitsu Fujimaki, a professor in the neurosurgery department at Taikyo University in Tokyo, agrees that trepanation can increase cerebral blood flow in some head injury cases, but not blood volume. Hence, for a normal subject, boring a hole in their skull would be of no benefit, he says. Oh, so enlightenment isn't a benefit? Oh, please, come on. No, I no, know. no. <laughs> not to these squares in the medical industry. <laughs> oh, Here's another square. <laughs> Keiji Kawamoto, a professor of neurosurgery at Kansai Medical University, agrees. Quote, if chronic subdural hematoma is removed by trepanation, it is clear that consciousness will be improved but I have no data showing the consciousness level can be improved by trepanation in the case of a normal person. Mm -hmm. He says, however, that Hughes's hypothesis could be similar to the reason why trepanation was practiced in the past and why it is still used today among some African tribes. Kawamoto's own research into trepanation has taken him to Peru and Bolivia, where more than 1,000 trepan skulls, more than from the rest of the world combined, have been found. You know, also, I think we've just to solve the mystery of the crystal skull that we speak about in our past series on uh, crystal healing. It just needs to be Japan. Oh, that makes sense. Excellent. I also love it. I solved it. How so we see it with Mitchell and we're also seeing it with uh, Kawamoto, the intense patience with this idea and the kindness (laughs) to which it's treated. Like, you know, Kawamoto isn't going, no, you fucking idiot. You shouldn't bore a hole in your fucking head. He's just like, well, actually, you know, there are some scenarios where, you know, people have problems, but in a normal skull, it's just not going to have the benefits that you want to see. It's just, wow. I, I salute them. They're very nice. The British and the Japanese, very nice people. Yes. So many excavated skulls reveal just one trepanation, indicating that the hole, often made by scraping or sawing out a section of the skull with a stone or saw, (sighs) was likely made as a one-off medical operation, Kawamoto says. However, as other skulls have several holes, he believes that in such cases, medicine men may have promoted trepanation to treat psychological conditions. At the slightest recurrence, he suggests... Patients would seek further treatment and another hole would be made. A glory hole, if you will. No correction. There is there is no glory in these holes. <laughs> That's <at all>. true. <laughs> no glory to be found. Takeo Suzuki, a paleopathologist who has studied aspects of trepanation in the United States, takes this a step further. 
quote, after any surgical operation, the patient often believes a kind of renewal process has occurred. It's a mood enhancer, a pick-me-up. Trepanation may have a similar impact. It could be that thousands of years ago, such a hypothesis was put forward by the chief of a tribe, and it caught on, says Suzuki, who is also a vice director of Tokyo Metropolitan Institute of Gerontology. So for the most part, experts seem to think that ultimately what's going on is that people are simply drilling holes in their head and benefiting from a placebo effect. But since we're fair and balanced here at Nundere Call Ordinary, we'll give trepanation enthusiast Tom Wargo the last word. Quote, some people look at it as just drilling a hole in the head. I look at it as removing a piece of skull from the head to correct something that went wrong in nature. Got it. Got it. I actually blame Yahweh. As Christopher Hitchens would say, that's some design. Yeah. Clearly, the celestial dictator, if he existed, could at the very least have gotten sufficient blood flow to the brain right. I mean, what an <laughs> asshole. Yeah. Yes. If you look at how the, the eyes are connected to the uh, occipital lobe, I mean, it's beginning to make a lot of sense. All sorts of mistakes are being made. And so that is it for our first episode on psychedelic cults. So, Brent, Forrest, what did you learn in today's episode? What most stuck out to you? Yeah, I was just going to say I I recommend not putting an electric drill to your head personally. Yep. <laughs> I just want to tell people that's a bad idea. Um, I have done some hallucinogens, and I guess in our we'll discuss this later in maybe a bonus episode for patrons. But I, mm -hmm. I never, I never wanted to do that. So that's just something that should never happen to any human. Also, like this, this idea of you know getting sort of some sort of major enlightenment out of this, some sort of answer to the universe is just ridiculous. Um, I would say you could the best idea is to treat maybe like a hallucinogenic experience as like a dream. You had a dream, so they're fantastical. You know, they're maybe even profound. But after you wake up, there's not really anything of any importance to be gleaned from them other than you know you had a good time and you didn't really gain anything so we should stop just stop talking about it that way and i think like yeah. Forrest said james i think um kent really does a really 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 good job of discussing this in his podcast and i'm actually really addicted to that now i can't stop listening i started at the beginning of it just plowing through him but kent kent also describes i know he was talking about this whole and one of the episodes was talking about being high forever. Like the, this is this goal of being high forever, which frankly sounds like a fucking nightmare to me. But um, yeah. it's like, God. what? Right. And so, I mean, he says like the whole reason for getting high feels so good and amazing is because it's different from when you're normal in your everyday life. Right. And, you know, yeah. and having this contrast that makes, you know, being so high so great. So that's, you know, that's this doesn't really make sense to be permanently high. And it's just. Right. And how the brain will adapt. Like, so even if you trepan yourself and it right. gave some kind of effect, eventually that's going to, um, the brain's going to just adapt and that's just going to become your normal it's, state. Anyway. Yes, exactly. Right. You're just going to have to go back, go to the Swiss cheese model. Just keep on yeah. doing it. <laughs> Swiss cheese. I mean, so what, one, one thing that is interesting to me is what, what would drive somebody to do something like this? And there is some kind of weird, like mythical appeal so there is this trope in mythology of, you know, paradise lost type idea. Mm -hmm. And they talk about how when you're a child, you don't have skull matter in that certain part of the brain. And then the idea is that as the, as the skull matter starts to grow in, you start to lose certain perceptions you did as a child. And I know from like my experience, like there was this weird period where from about 
like, I don't know, 12 years old to 18, it did seem like the world just got more dull and my imagination became more dull. Like, for example, I remember as a, as a little kid, I could daydream and it would be like almost like a full on hallucination. Yeah. And that ability was lost later on. So maybe, I don't know, maybe there's people like me that had that kind of quote unquote ability. And I don't know, maybe they hear this idea come from this guy and then they want to get that back. So yeah. they'll do anything to get it back. And maybe that's why they drill a hole through their head. I don't know. I think also being high on LSD 24 seven can also help. That, I think that that's can probably also actually, be a you know causal what? factor. Yeah, no, just toss my theory out the window. That's what happened. They took LSD <laughs> and said, let's drill holes in our head. <laughs> Well, and so with that, once again, we are done with our first episode on in our psychedelic cults series. As always, you can reach us on social media at NDCIO on Twitter and at none dare call it ordinary on Instagram, where we most certainly will post some of these fun trepanation videos and photos so you can <laughs> really get a fun. good look at them. <laughs> if we had to look at them, so do you. <laughs> Also, if you think we got something wrong in any of our episodes, we are always collecting information for a None Dare Call It Wrong series where we can present all the ways that our listeners have shown how we just got the facts wrong or our speculations were far too speculative. And you can always reach out to us on social media or send us an email, ordinary at gmail.com. And if you want to be a patron, you can go to patreon.com slash none dare call it ordinary for only one dollar a month you can help us reach our first goal to have more patrons than sherry schreiner who is a dead con artist she's got <laughs> 10 patrons and we need no she's got nine patrons excuse me and we need to get 10 that's our first goal we're on our way there but we need you to help us and you can for only one dollar a month lastly none dare call it ordinary.com slash donate to become a crypto patron, you can find our public address where you can donate Bitcoin to support the podcast. And with that, we are, are good. Good.